Well, welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Josh Ziegelbaum. Uh, and Josh is uh, currently serves as Director of Investor Relations at Legacy Group. He's based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and he's responsible for managing investor communications, onboarding, uh, both like in individual and commercial clients, as well as overall support for various uh, company initiatives. Uh, prior to uh, joining Legacy Group, Josh worked as Vice President of Business Development for Life of Our Capital, which is a private uh, a boutique equity firm or a boutique private equity firm and asset management, where he led his team for capital raising efforts. Uh, before that, he was a private uh, banker at uh, Wells Fargo with a focus on complex credit needs and investment in public securities. Josh, welcome to the show. Eric, it's great to be here today. Thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure. So tell me a little bit more about or tell us a little bit more about kind of like what does Legacy Group do? I know we talked about the alternative investment. What does that mean? How alternative are they? And kind of like how, how does Legacy Group manage that? Happy to dive into that, Eric. So Legacy Group is an alternative asset manager. We're a private equity firm that focuses on unique opportunities in Latin America, more specifically in Colombia. Uh, the two partners who I work with, Cole Shepard and Adam Jason, live and are based in Medellin, Colombia, uh, where they have been for a combined 10 years. Uh, so our goal is to either start businesses from the ground up or identify businesses for early investment uh, for ourselves and for our investors. Uh, our investors are primarily high net worth individuals here in the United States, and we're opening unique alternative private equity offerings um, to our investors. And, uh, and I head up those efforts here um, out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Okay. So uh, as we mentioned, so I mean, these are very unique opportunity. What kind of businesses do you, uh, do you support or do you invest in in Colombia? Sure. Uh, our main focus at this point is on agriculture. So agriculture also falls into real estate, of course. So our flagship portfolio company is called Green Coffee Company. It's currently the second largest coffee producer in Colombia today. Uh, we have just about 5,000 acres of coffee farmland after our latest acquisition. So we're wow. consolidating and developing farmland and infrastructure uh, in the heart of Colombia. And um, that, that's really, our, I would say, our main focus where we spend most of our time uh, is on Green Coffee Company. But we're also involved in technology, uh, video games, 3D art and design. We have oh, an investment really? in a company called Polygonus. Mm -hmm. uh, we were we seed invested them a few years back. They're on track to do six million in revenue this year. They're located in the heart of Medellin, uh, and they do 3D art and design for digital productions for video games. They also have an academy to help people in the industry uh, learn how to do these types of things. So, mm -hmm. so we're in a couple different industries. Main focus is uh, agriculture and real estate, I would say. Oh, that's, that's interesting because, I mean, nobody would think, or not many people would think that, you know, Colombia would be a place for, for high tech and for uh, gaming development and stuff. But that's pretty interesting. Yeah, you wouldn't think so, Eric. But, you know, Colombia, we're kind of seeing a birth of a venture capital hub in mm -hmm. Latin America and in Colombia. So a lot of capital has been flowing into the region from the likes of SoftBank, among others that are bullish on, on Colombia. So we were early, but we've noticed a lot of sophisticated capital coming in to early stage tech investments in the region. So keep your eye on the radar, on the news and such. You will probably see more on this in the coming years, I would think. 
So why Colombia is would be the obvious question. There's uh, why not the United States? Uh, why not uh, you know Mexico or other countries? Sure. So we've noticed that high net worth investors here in the states are heavily allocated in U.S. based assets. So whether that's real estate, public stocks, um, business interests, you know, guys are heavily allocated here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. With everything going on with global macroeconomic instability, issues we're seeing with supply chain and kind of uncertainty on what the path forward looks like for the US as as a global superpower. Uh, Investors are continuously starting to look towards emerging markets. Now, why Latin America? Looking to our our east over in Asia, where you typically would think of emerging markets, with everything going on right now, it's not really a place that investors are, are seemingly comfortable yeah. in. I want to talk. I want to talk about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. It's just not a place if you want if you're looking for emerging market exposure that you that you really want to go to right now in, in many mm-hmm. cases. So, so we found Colombia a number of years ago. We fell in love with the country, and we saw it as a as a country that was ripe for disruption. There's just such a lack of capital uh, from in, from an investment perspective. And the processes of running businesses there are just so antiquated. We see that in the green coffee company, among others. So we really identified these like arbitrage opportunities where we could come in, uh, provide kind of like first world business practices and build out first world infrastructure in our portfolio companies and really just disrupt industries. So that's kind of how we fell into Columbia. A couple other reasons around that, of course, as to how the partners ended up there. But but that's really why we're there is to, is to open up, you know, a, a unique market for investors who can't access it. Mm-hmm. So the partners were there initially in Colombia. That's why they started there because they were really interested in the in the agricultural aspect of it, and then that expanded to you know high tech and other ventures while they were there. That's right. Well, they, they were passing through and, and then kind of saw the opportunity in the country, of course, and and eventually made it home, and then. Yeah. We started uh, with some real estate type investments, sort of syndicated projects that, that you would see here in the US. And we had a, a following of investors or passive investors looking for a collateralized real estate type offering uh, with higher upside in, in the country there. So that's kind of how the Green Coffee Company was born, at least in the seed stages, was the idea of seeding some capital, going out firing cash flowing, producing farmland and spitting off cash flow to investors. That soon kind of grew over the years to being what it is today. It's just like such a massive, sophisticated operation um, on track. Our, our goal is to bring the company public here in the U.S. with, with the target year of 2026 right now. And um, they, they, we kind of just pivoted, I would say, into agriculture and identifying it. That wasn't the main reason we, we were there, but we saw this opportunity and we jumped on it. Okay, uh, so let's talk about China a little bit. Are you seeing like an out outflow of funds from China, and then they're looking for other places, other alternative investments that they want to invest in? Are you seeing that or no? So the indicators in terms of flows of capital out of China, they're, they're somewhat lagging, I would say. So it's hard to see the full effects of what's going on in Ukraine and in that region now, mm-hmm. as it relates to capital flowing out of the region. Yeah. But um, as far as like conversations we're having with investors, you know, like I said, our investors are, are heavily in U.S. assets, maybe not so many are already in China, but they're yeah. looking for alternatives outside yeah. of the U.S. and they're looking for emerging markets. So when they, they're thinking about that and, 
oh, should I go to Asia? LATAM looks a lot more attractive right now, especially with all the capital flowing into the region and the proximity to the U.S., uh, yeah. the diplomatic relations being so strong between the U.S. and, and the likes of Colombia and Mexico and such. Mm. So um, it's really, uh, we, we are seeing a, a significant flow of capital into LATAM. It's hard for me to say if it's coming from yeah. <laughs> outflows of China. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe, yeah, we're changing allocation and say, well, you know, we're going to be, you know, we, we're a little bit, uh, it's a little bit more risk now. I'm thinking, especially with uh, companies like Evergrande. I mean, if uh, you know that if they defaulted on their loan last year, and then how is that going to pan out? Is that going to drag the rest of the economy down? Uh, this, you know, and then also kind of like misrepresentation on some of these uh, other companies from from Asia in the in the even stock in the U.S. market. They, they misrepresented their their income, their profit, and all of that in order to attract capital. And then we're finding out as we go that, oh yeah, this, these numbers, uh, there's an extra zero here we shouldn't have put in there. Sorry, typo. <laughs> yeah, right? I, I, I do think there's just so much uncertainty as it relates to global macroeconomic stability and where things are going. You know, investors are increasingly looking towards alternative investments in general right. to diversify out of public securities and 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 kind of normal traditional real estate type investments. Yeah. Uh, we've seen a very large peak in interest in, in the sector of alternative investments um, since the pandemic. And mm -hmm. I think um, it's all, a lot of it's around this uncertainty that we're seeing and the frothiness of the public markets here yeah. at home. Yeah, so I, I, I'm looking also, as we talked about, I'm looking also at investing in, in Mexico and um, just, to, just a little bit, just to diversify a little bit. Um, still in real estate, but in other markets. And uh, then this is when you have to consider other risks that you didn't have before when you're investing only in the US. And some of them is geopolitical uh, crime. Sometimes it's a little bit uh, where I'm looking to invest, the crime is significantly higher than in the US and even some places uh, higher than other places in, in Mexico. Uh, and then you have currency currency risk as well that you have to take into consideration. So how does that factor in uh, from an investor in the U.S.? How do you how do you kind of yeah factor that into their rate of return or your cap rate for your investment? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Eric. So from an investment perspective, at least what we've done with Green Coffee Company, while all the assets are primarily in Colombia. We've structured the investment offering here in the United States. So our investors own common equity in our US-based holding company for, for Green Coffee Company. So dollars come in and they get issued yeah. shares in USD. Now there is a Forex uh, sort of component to it, of course, because we're diverting capital from the holding company and using it to acquire farmland in, in Colombian pesos, at least for yeah. the acquisition piece. But we're able to be strategic on when we move that and when it makes sense. Now, coffee is an interesting one because globally, coffee is sold in dollars. So even though we're, yeah, yeah. we're investing in, in Colombia, you know, the cash flow that we could produce can, can be produced in dollars. So in terms of investments that you get in emerging markets and in other countries, this is about as, as American as it gets <laughs> in terms yeah. of limiting your Forex risk as it relates to the commodity itself that's tracked in dollars and then the fund structure that, that we have here uh, for, for the company. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that there aren't things that we need to navigate in Latin America. You know, like you mm -hmm. said, certain regions like the parts of Mexico you're looking in, 
there's heightened violence and activity. So that's something you need to be aware of that comes with yeah. some additional risk and yeah. something you should, you need to model into any pro forma or, or financial projection, but it's difficult to model because how do you really put that risk factor in? Like, exactly. Right? You exactly. just kind of- It get better uh, all of a sudden, could be, could be yeah, worse, so, could be yeah, so, worse before it gets better. <laughs> yeah, so we think just being conservative overall in your assumptions yeah. um, at, in general, like all the financial assumptions and exit assumptions, you know, is the best path forward. Um, as far as mitigating any of those like local risks, you know, having relationships with the government, uh, local organizations that have influence, that all goes a really long way. And it's yeah. critical towards being successful. It's something that we've done that Legacy Group and Green Coffee Company is really kind of like solidifying our place in the coffee industry, making ourselves known uh, we have very strong relationships with local government where we operate. Mm -hmm. That's kind of ways in which you can mitigate that sort of um, yeah. regional risk, I would say. Okay, well that sounds good. Uh, so, um, so uh, just to uh, so basically, the your investors are investing in a U.S. company, in a U.S. holding company in U.S. dollar, and that U.S. holding company is then investing in Colombia, in and then the, the returns come back and then this is kind of how everything is being distributed so from the investors perspective they're just investing kind of in the us but knowing perfectly well that the funds would be used in uh, in colombia that's right we have wholly owned operating subsidiaries in colombia that that are owned entirely by our investors here in the states yeah. um and I, we kind of uh, make this like a uh, comparable to like if you own shares in coca-cola but coca-cola has assets and processing facilities in other countries which we all know coca-cola has plenty you still yeah. look at it as a u.s-based investment yeah but there, yeah there is some exposure to other markets of course yeah. good example good example uh so uh, josh let's uh let's talk about it also from i mean a lot of the the, the listeners i mean they are the Many of them, I, I would say probably most of them are not high net worth individuals. Uh, is, is there any way to get into to that company to invest in uh, the green coffee company or um, or the legacy group uh, with a lower amount or do you must be an accredited investor and high network network individual? That's a great question, Eric. Uh, we do require that investors are accredited. Um, we have the offering set up as a 506C. Uh, Reg D offering. So we're able to market, we're able to promote it, but in terms mm -hmm. of accepting commitments, it has to be from accredited investors. Um, for those of you who don't know what that definition is here in the States, um, you need to meet either minimum income or net worth requirements. Um, and then we have a discussion around that and attest to it through the investment process. So mm -hmm. it is it is specifically for high net worth individuals. Um, in our latest funding round, the Series B, which we closed uh, earlier this year, uh, we had a minimum investment of $100,000 US. I'd expect for our forthcoming offerings, it would be around a similar sort of dollar figure there. What's the expected rate of return for uh, for an investor for one of those investments? So we've modeled out our Series C presentation or what we expect to be released as our Series C presentation. And it's at a premium share price to what we just um, issued shares at. So in our Series B, it was at 700 bucks a share. Uh, and then moving forward to our Series C, we're currently anticipating that it'll be at least 1,000 a share. And the deck in which we modeled out on $1,000 a share, we're forecasting an IRR of 53%, wow. and that would be through a 2026 exit. 
terms of an equity multiple, that's a, that works out to be an 8x net equity multiple wow. on $1,000 a share. Now, keep in mind, we just accepted commitments as recently as a few months ago at 700. So the, wow. the expected returns for our earlier investors would, would be higher. Yeah. We're, we're still forecasting very healthy returns now um, in our most recent presentation, which is why investors get really excited about what we're doing. Now, mm-hmm. 8x might sound like a lot, but if you compare it to early stage tech type investments where most of the assets are intellectual property and you're trying to hit one out of the park and make 100x or 1000x on your money, like that, that's not this, right? This is yeah. a balance sheet business. Uh, we have real assets and if we're strategically moving the business forward and we've drawn some comparables uh, mm-hmm. to companies who have gone public in our industry in the recent year, Mm-hmm. And that's how we kind of backed into our, what we believe to be a conservative assumption on, on our exit multiple. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, 50, uh, 53% annualized rate of return. I think it's, uh, it's pretty solid. So that, that's very good. Um, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, I think so. I, I tend to agree with you. <laughs> unless you roll the dice on crypto and you're lucky. So uh, <laughs> they say, oh, only 53%. Uh, uh, but yeah. that would also, that's also be good because that would also, appre- uh, offset uh the amount of money that i spend on coffee so that'd be that'd be great <laughs> i'm a big coffee drinker so. our, our investors love the coffee we, we recently put it on amazon it's not the primary uh, sales channel we sell primarily wholesale uh, unroasted green coffee uh, yeah. that we process at our facilities but we do have a roasted product green coffee uh, companies coffees on amazon mm-hmm. and our investors love it, it has all five star reviews it's it's uh, it's something pretty special but yeah <laughs> I have uh, quite a few bags myself here that I'll probably have one when we're, when we're done here on this, on yeah. this interview. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about, um, you know, for the other investors, the other listeners that, you know, they don't have this uh, high net worth individual, but we want to learn from, uh, from your experience as raising capital, working in kind of like uh, complex credit and you know putting like complex products together and financing together and reaching out to investors can you kind of share uh with uh with our listeners kind of some of the tips or tricks that you would need to uh, develop or build in order to kind of attract investors to to our your project or something like that yeah that's a really great one, Eric. Hopefully I can add value to your listeners here who are in the industry or, or looking for some tips on, on raising capital and investor relations. So, you know, it really comes down to relationships, the relationships that you have and people's perception of you. You, know, you want to treat everyone that you interact with as a valuable person. And I, w- I would treat them as I would expect to be treated. And, and that comes back to you. And, and this could carry to any business, not just uh, raising equity capital, but you know, and it, it takes one slip up in, in finance or, or in investor relations to ruin your reputation. So you need to be very careful with how you communicate your emails, how you communicate over the phone, what you say matters 100%. Um, that's, yeah. that's a very big part of the battle. So I would encourage your listeners to believe in their reputation and really Think about that every day that, that they're going to work and, and, and executing upon anything it is that they're doing. Uh, next would be, you know, getting the right clients uh, what, eyes in front of what you're offering, right? So you could have the best product in, in the world, but if no one sees it, no one will invest in it, right? So you need yeah. to 
identify who your target client is. In my case, it's high net worth individuals um, that have minimum income or net worth requirements. And where are these people? Well, they're listening to podcasts. They're going to certain events. They're part of certain mastermind groups. Many of them are already subscribed to our newsletter. So the idea is that we identify our target market. We go to different events or we advertise in certain manners that allow us to touch them. And then we want to get them into our ecosystem. But by ecosystem, I mean our email newsletter. So if someone is following us, uh, they're going to be receiving communications from Legacy Group maybe once or twice a week on things that are relevant in either the coffee space or alternative investments. And we like to educate our clients on, on a regular basis. So in addition to getting your clients in and having them follow you, you need to have consistent communications that add value. By value, it could be something educational, something they didn't know. Um, you don't want to be pushy and shove product at people. People could pick up on that. You want to yeah. speak to the value, show them the value in what you have, communicate why you're the right person to be a steward of their capital. It's it's an it's a process, a circular yeah. process, of course. Those are kind of my high level uh, points of advice I would give to anyone. And really, in addition to that, you really need to know your product uh, mm-hmm. very well. So if you're on a team in which uh, someone's preparing the presentation, or or maybe because it's a team effort, right? It's indicating equity. You know, there, there's yeah. parts of the team that that work out the materials, and then other parts of the team are front facing with clients. Um, you'll likely be a part of the whole process. But if you were not the one that put together the presentation in its entirety, you need to understand it in its entirety because investors will probe you when you get in conversation with them. So being knowledgeable of your industry, knowledgeable of the specific product, I think are uh, key to your success as someone in the business. Yeah, at least I'm not the only one that's uh, (laughs) having problems with some words. so let's, uh, so yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I'm just going to unpack this a little bit, but I think the, the f- number one, I think is really networking is that I cannot emphasize enough the importance of building your network of investors, people that have, they don't necessarily have to be, uh, if you're starting into a, as, a, as an investor and you're looking for money, they don't have to be high net worth individuals, but it's good to have, start building your network early on you will always need these people. So you want to build a long-term relationship with, uh, with these investors. Uh, you get, you know, you make money for them. That money is going to come back to you because they're going to have more money to lend to you uh, and to invest in you. So yeah, make sure that, you know, they're making lots of money and then uh, you will always have them uh, on your side. So I think this is very important. And um it doesn't matter, you know, my saying is always like, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you're always short a couple of millions. And uh, so always know, uh, you know, know a lot of people expand your network and build build that, uh, that network. And another point that you mentioned was about being the good steward of their money. So really, you know, making sure that you're taking care of their money as not only as if it was your own, but as if it's theirs, and it is theirs. So <laughs> You know, if it's a very good friend, if it's your mother that you're borrowing money from, I mean, aren't you going to be taking very good care of it? Because, you know, it's uh, you want to make sure you don't lose or waste that money. So just be very careful. And that's going to go a long way to, um, you know, to, to maintaining that relationship and all of that. 
It doesn't mean that you don't won't lose money every once in a while or uh, don't provide the same level of return, but at least in these cases, make sure you communicate as much as possible and say, why didn't that fail? Why be transparent about, about why that project didn't do as good a return as it was supposed to and blah, blah, blah. So I think that's very important. Again, it's all about the trust. You know, people are, there's so many scams out there. There's so many, you know, bad uh, investment products out there. You know, we're looking at NFTs and all of that. Yeah. It's just like, you know, trust the investor, uh, trust the people that are going to run that project, the sponsors, and then, you know, that's how you're going to get the, your investors to invest in, in your product, in your, um, in your project. Yeah, most definitely, Eric. And I think it's important to also be personally invested in, <laughs> in your offering, right? Yeah, so yeah. myself and the rest of the legacy group management team, we're personally invested in our portfolio companies. And we also have family members. All of us have family members who are personally invested. So uh -oh. we put our own money here. We put our family members' money in the business. We really believe in what we're doing. And yeah. if if this, if what you're working on isn't something that you could say the same, I don't mean you, I mean, uh, yeah, any, yeah. anyone that's looking to do a similar um, sort of project, maybe it's not the, the right project. Then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So always consider, would you invest? Would you have your family invest? And if so, are you treating everyone as if they should be treated, mm -hmm. of course, if they were yeah. those people? So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then, um, yeah, also targeting. So you mentioned also targeting your audience and uh, your your investors, having the right people in front of you. So, I mean, if you're doing like mobile home parks or something like that, not every investors are going to get a kick out of that or they're not going to be that interested. They don't even care about the returns that much. For you, it's a, it's a, it's a similar situation. I mean, not many, not many people would really kind of like, I'm not interested in coffee. I'm not interested in Colombia. How do you deal with these kinds of objections? And uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're totally closed off to coffee in Colombia, it's hard It's hard to get yeah. you over that hump. Um, the guys that we talk to, you know, typically they're, they're looking for alternatives. You know, they, they've seen the performance of their stock portfolio. They've seen the performance of their residential and commercial real estate over the last decade. They're very mm -hmm. pleased but it makes them nervous. <laughs> like that uptick yeah. that we've seen in the markets, yeah. you know, guys are seeking diversification and they're seeking early retirement. They're seeking financial freedom. Maybe some of the things that they're doing now are keeping them on that path, but um, you know, kind of overcoming that, um, you know, I tell people like, well, where, where are all of your assets now? Right. I mean, guys will, they can name off certain properties, maybe some commercial real estate funds and Maybe they'll tell me their 60-40 stock bond portfolio, but a lot of guys aren't in other markets. They're not in private equity. They're not in commodities. People are concerned about inflation. Obviously, yeah. we just had a reading. I mean, we're recording this on in early April. We just had our highest inflation reading in 40 years, mm. and it's it's concerning. So so when I point to why uh, coffee, you know, why Colombia, I point to the things that are happening here in the U.S. Like, well, look how strong public markets have performed. Historically, they do not perform at this rate. They'll likely go closer to some sort of mean. And, you know, kind of same theme on the commodity front. You know, every time you go to the grocery store, or every time you go put gas in your car, if you have a gasoline engine car, yeah. you are paying more. So, I mean, people want to be involved on the investment side of that, right? So if yeah. you could own, uh, 
a commodity at origin being an owner of a producer at origin, you know, you have upside potential as commodity prices continue to rise. Mm-hmm. And then with exposure in Colombia, you're not hundred percent allocated in the U S and it's not that yeah. I don't believe in the U S I'm invested in the U S I have property yeah. here. I have stocks, but you know, I believe in, in getting exposure to other markets. We think Colombia is, is the number one choice in Latin America for other reasons mm-hmm. I mentioned on this call. Yeah, yeah, well, that's very good. Uh, you also mentioned kind of like, uh, I, I, yeah, you kind of mentioned also having a track record. You didn't quite say it that way, but uh, really looking at past performances. I think uh, obviously, you know, if you're going to go and raise money for a project, I think showing your your past uh, your past projects, your, how how strong is your track record, is going to go a long way to build confidence when you're talking to to new investors. Um, any tips around that, around kind of like if you don't have that strong a, a track record or you're just getting started, any tips on on kind of like building that trust without having that track record? Yeah, I mean, even with limited exits or, or track record, it's still important to build out a compelling about page on your website. Make sure that the team members who are involved have extensive bios and that the bios relate to the industry that you're in right so mm-hmm. like someone who worked in agriculture for 25 years plus is the ceo of our coffee company and you point to boris Wolner and and we speak to his expertise now we don't have 25 years in, in coffee but he does right so like you want to align people on your team uh, that do have the track record and experience if you don't, right? And mm-hmm. and if you and if you're lacking in certain areas, try and fill in those gaps and uh, tell us tell a compelling story as to what you've done and before and why you're the right person for the job and and the same for the other members on your team. And um, that's kind of the best you could do until you mm-hmm. until you build a, a stronger track record. Yeah. I think it's good. I think also kind of like bringing your partner, showing that it's not just me here. I'm also like, this is, if we start with a very small project, like a single family rehab or flip, you know, yeah. Okay. I, I, this is my first flip, but I partner up with this contractor who has 20 years of experience and he has done these, these are all the project that he has done. And this is our plan. And you know, that, Yes, you don't have a track record, but build on your partner the same way that you're building on uh, your your CEO's partner, uh, CEO's uh, experience to say, okay, well, you know, yeah, I, I don't have that much experience in the coffee industry, but, you know, my, my CEO has been there like 25 years and he knows how that that works. And so that's, that's the other thing, partnering up to kind of fill in some of the gaps and some of the experience, um, you know, even if these people are are hired to work on the project, they're part of your team. They're part of your virtual team, and you know, make sure you uh, you include them as part of that. And that's going to give a lot. Of, it's going to give you, you know, a stronger stance when you're talking to investors. You know, absolutely, Art. I agree, 100. percent So, uh, any, um, I mean, you have a pretty uh, interesting background, also on kind of like you know, special credits, special. Uh, you know, asset alloc- uh, uh, asset management and private equity. Uh, any, any other tips around that? Like if you go a little bit um, into more like the multifamilies or bigger syndication, any tip for syndicators out there, people that want to start uh, a syndication on a multifamily project, any tips uh, for, for these people? Yeah, so as a syndicator of commercial real estate, 
we talked about this a little earlier in, in, in the chat here, but having a team, right? Especially in commercial real estate, that, that's a team sport, right? Yeah. So assembling your team. Um, so if you're one that wants to raise capital from investors and you want to bring money in for, for commercial real estate, I'd say that you'd probably be hard pressed to also be the one that's developing and acquiring assets and, and renovating them and repositioning. Yeah. There, there's someone on the team that's doing that, right? Yeah. So, so finding that right fit and building out your team um, is, is really key, right? So identify your strengths and what you bring to the table. Maybe as a listener, you're the person who has done a couple rehabs or maybe you've done a larger project, but you never raise money from investors, you never work with people. So maybe you find someone like me, right? For example, I don't mean me, but someone who has uh, investor relations experience, capital raising experience that could help execute on your visions and on your projects. So kind of seeing where you fit in the puzzle and then filling in those gaps accordingly, I think is a really great start uh, for someone. And then of course, if it's multifamily, maybe it's alternatives in other countries, become an expert in your field and just read about who's doing deals, who's active in the space, connect with them on LinkedIn, talk to these people, see what they're doing, what makes them successful. I think you'd be surprised to find out how many people would be open to taking a call with you if you professionally reach out to them and, and say that I'm interested in what you're doing and would love to chat. I think you might be surprised. So put yourself out there, make yourself uncomfortable and do things that you, you know, didn't think that you'd be able to do. I, I guarantee you're more capable of, of accomplishing things than you might think. And um, yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's great advice. I think people tend to, that's what I like about a lot of the, the investors and entrepreneurs and this community is that, you know, you can easily reach out to anybody in the, in the community, ask questions and I need help. I need some, uh, how do you do this kind of things? Uh, and, you know, they, a lot of people are open to, to helping you and to answering your questions and, and, or to pointing you to, to the right resource or the right individual to help you in what you're trying to do. So uh, that's what I found. I found it's a, it's a great community to be part of and, um, you know, everybody pretty much help each other to, uh, because you never know who you're going to partner with uh, in the future. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that's pretty interesting. So I really enjoy that. So Josh, it was, uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, anything that you want to, uh, to mention as we close off our, our conversation, our discussion? Uh, well, I can give you the contact info and where to find us. I think that would be helpful. So yep. I'd encourage you to check out our website. That's legacy-group.co on our site. You can subscribe to our newsletter. would love to have you involved there. And then if you want to send us an email, I can be reached at investor.relations at legacy-group.co. And uh, we're, we're always getting out interesting content. Definitely get on our newsletter. Love to keep you updated on the things we're doing. Sounds good. Well, thank you, Josh. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, I mean, you know, even if you're not interested necessarily in, or you're not a high net worth individual, I think it's worth to uh, subscribing to that newsletter and learn uh, other types of, uh, of investment, more alternative investments out of the country and see kind of like how the, the pros are doing it, how the pros are talking about their investment and, uh, and their market. Josh, thank you very much. I'll put I'll put your links in the uh, in the comments. That's why I do this <laughs> in the comments below. And uh, again, pleasure having you. Thanks, Eric.
Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martell. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.